when you pull a string I can't even imagine what happens the fabric unravels yes yes and the goal of fabric is to remain woven and put to a useful purpose maybe you want to pull that string to see what's behind it with that in mind welcome to the show the naked body of a 49 year old man (laughs) hey this is my kind of show that's what's behind it our subject matter for today, the topic under discussion and debate is whether or not the music of your youth and young adulthood actually matters, or whether, no matter how energetic, idealistic, or whatever, is it really, at the, in the end, just about entertainment. So, Kevin and I grew up in our favorite bands. Well, for me, it was The Clash, The Sex Pistols, XTC, The Jam. So many others, then I get into reggae with, you know, Rastafarianism and so forth. And Kevin, I know you're a big fan of Minor Threat and a whole bunch of other groups you can talk about yourself. So what do you think? Does the music of such high-minded groups as Minor Threat and others mean anything to you now? Does it really matter or was it just fun to go to shows and listen to that stuff? Well, I think it was both at the same time. It was fun to go to shows and listen to that stuff, and it still means something, um, but not the same thing. I mean, I'm not the same person who first listened to it, certainly, so it's different for me now, but it's not irrelevant. I mean, I think the most telling factor would be, and you mentioned minor threats, so I'll run with that. Um, I can still, to this day, go on YouTube and find uh, an old terrible quality video shot in a club in like 1981 or something of minor threat playing a set and when they kick in to a song and the crowd explodes all through this terrible image on the monitor i can still feel that energy i can still feel how intense that and i never even got to see them live much to my eternal agony um but having been to plenty of hardcore shows, I know that feeling, that feeling, that moment when, when you know, the song drops and the place just goes berserk. So let's pause there. Talk a little bit about who some of your favorite groups were from the hardcore scene. <clears throat> well, certainly Minor Threat jumps out at me. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, what's strange about it is that, you know, I don't think about it very often anymore. Uh, in fact, I haven't really thought about it in years. It's not like uh, hardcore has remained some, you know, there wasn't like a continuity of like me listening to that and being into the scene from then until now. There's a giant gulf of time in which I haven't really thought about it much at all. I very rarely listen to the stuff. Or So with that being said, I mean, most of the stuff I'm going to be mentioning, I'm going to be pulling, you know, from deep in my behind, um, you know, out of the past. I mean, I was a huge fan of the Misfits. I don't know if you'd call them hardcore, really. Um, big, big Misfits. <laughs> Definitely punk fan. in the beginning. Well, yeah. Um, while I enjoyed some of their their 
modern iterations. I, I infinitely preferred the older stuff, um, which Would is. Would you awesome. say that you are one thirty eight? Uh well, it you know it is time to be an android, not a man. <laughs> You're telling me. I, <laughs> I um, think I've been one for the last fifteen years. But I mean, look. I mean, the the point I think is is this this the question at hand here is is do I still feel like um, you know it, does it still mean the same to me? Does it you know or was well, I think it it's so of- relevant? I mean, versus you being say weaned on nineties you know, uh, boy bands or something like that is that the music of the hardcore scene of the punk scene before and during the whole hardcore scene that saw the rise of bands like minor threat and bad brains and so forth is that, you know, the music was high huh. energy, but the lyrics were just as important. Sure. Was, a lot of political stuff, a lot of but yeah, idealism, sure. right? I mean, minor yeah, threat in you know, Fugazi after them all about, not selling out, all about straight edge and living a certain way that was idealistic. Whether or not you agreed with it was... The fucking something. bad brains. The bad brains. It's I saw a, it's them. It's about love. I saw them. Oh, you got to have that PMA. Well, the thing is, the fact that as you start to talk about seeing bands like The Misfits and Bad Brains and so forth, I'm sure, and I've seen The Clash twice i've seen the sex pistols uh never saw the jam unfortunately but i'm sure some people who never got the chance to see them <laughs> sadly some of some of whom probably weren't born when those bands were active or are probably going that sounds so amazing to see the clash the original four-piece lineup but yeah i mean so so talk a little bit about the feeling of seeing bad brains you know by the way for what five bucks to see yeah i know like an, like an all ages hardcore shit like the way it used to be like I, again i i'm so disconnected from the current scene that for all i know maybe there's something similar going on i have no idea i don't know if this stuff is like over with and it's different now maybe it's a complete different vibe a different scene i don't know so forgive me anyone out there if you're like oh you moron it's, it's just like it's still the same thing <laughs> you exactly what you just pointed out this this idea that you know you weren't paying premium prices to be jammed into a stadium and be a hundred miles away from a band that you were into you paid like next to nothing and there were even like food donation shows where you could bring like cans of food to donate to like a, a soup kitchen or something and and get in and you'd go to these it was an all day all ages show so all ages was important because it allowed kids to go who weren't of drinking age and they could experience this stuff and have a good time and it was you know relatively safe for them there wasn't you know wasn't going to be a bunch of drunk people throwing up on them although that did happen uh, maybe I'll if I can remember I'll try to bring in a story about exactly that very thing happening um and but it was that whole idea it was like an all day thing it wasn't like oh we're going to see the band it's a concert it's a couple hours it's over and you go home it was like an all you you went there and it was like you spent the entire afternoon into the evening you know at a hardcore show it's like a workout you know <laughs> you're like sweaty and like you know worn out by the end of the whole thing but the other element there was that idea of like um you didn't need to like pay like some crazy price to get front row seats to be close to them and even then you there was such a huge gulf between you and the band i mean bands that i was into like bad brains like you know i think you know hr's dreadlocks hit me in the face like i was right there i could reach i could have reached up and touched him i could i could they were they jumped on top of me in the crowd their sweat hit my face you know, it was like that's how close you were to the bands that you admired or that you were into. They were right there. You were in a small, intimate club setting, and 
it was a completely different experience. It was a totally different experience. I don't think a person who's, and again, I'm not, this isn't like a diss or like, oh, your way is wrong and this is the right way. It's just a different experience. But to someone whose only experience of a band or music is in these huge venues where you're just part of this massive crowd and you're in like nowhere near the band. You can see them way over there, but they might as well be on TV because you're nowhere near them. It's like remote. You're removed from it. But when you went to see these hardcore bands, you were like, you know, right there with them. And sometimes they literally got in the, in the pit with you or they f- jumped into the cr- it was crazy actually one thing I do have on you though I was not a huge hardcore fanatic like you were is that uh, when I was in England I saw MDC and I know for a fact that you never saw MDC no and, no I didn't and uh, it was the wildest thing the lead singer who was a fairly heavy set guy jumped into stage, stage dive on the crowd and he landed either near or on me and I remember one thing that was hilarious is that this was in Hammersmith in, in some club. It wasn't the Hammersmith Pele of, of Clash fame. It was another smaller club uh, in that borough. But in any case, so someone hawked a can of beer onto the stage. It was full. And it hit the bass player right in his E string in between songs. And it just went bong. And the bass player just looked at his bass and looked at the crowd and sort of shrugged. I mean, there was no security to come <laughs> <running> out <laughs> and throw the person out. And the other thing I remember extraordinarily well, besides the amazing set they played, is that they had, for their PA system, they had these two sets of really tall speaker cabinets on either side, side of the stage. And some crazy guy in a mohawk leaps off to stage dive and lands elbow first right on the top of my skull from about a 10 or 15 foot drop in the crowd because I was right in the pit and splits my head open like a, like a, like a machete through a grapefruit. So I, I leave the pit, stagger to the men's room, which is, of course, disgusting. And there's a guy throwing up in the toilet. Um, as I go to look at what, you know, the sort of smeary mirror in the bathroom, and I, I can't really see because it's so filthy, and I turn to the guy who's barfing, and I say, can you tell how badly I'm cut? And he just looks at me and says, oh, I'm sick enough already. And I was like, I forget it. And I just went back to enjoy the show. Now, you flash forward, you know, a couple decades, and things are different. Music is now commodified. I remember being shocked seeing PBS do a documentary on The Clash, and in between they're trying to sell Clash DVDs or CDs or whatever with PBS tote bags, and the the guy in, you know, during the pledge drive in between, you know, for intermission or whatnot, is saying, oh yes, buy, you know, donate 50 bucks and get this three CD collection or DVD collection. It's got remote control. It's got police and thieves. And I'm sitting here watching this going, am I hallucinating? Are they, did they really just say remote control by the clash? It just seems like a totally different era. And sort of the heart of the question though, is that that whole ideal, bring, bring cans of food to a show, uh, the lyrics you'd listen to, you know, in, in your, in your, on your basement stereo talking about all these high-minded things about how to live your life and not selling out and so forth. Does that stuff really matter or was it just a bunch of BS? Sure it did. I mean, it mattered. It did. It did matter when you're like 18 years old. Does it matter now? Right. Of course it, it, you know, you might've like latched onto something that resonated with you or whatever. I think it matters to me now for a different reason though, because it was just a part of my life. It, It was a formative 
experience that I that I had, and it's you know it's a part of me and who I am now. It doesn't mean necessarily that word for word, line for line, you know, all these lyrics still apply, and I'm you know ready to march out the door and kick somebody in the teeth. But um, you know, it, it just it's a part of me. It's a part of my life experience, and it's meaningful in that way, not necessarily in a literal you know you know the lyrics are tattooed on my chest or anything. But you know, like I said, I think part of it. For me, anyway, I mean, I'm only speaking for myself. I mean, for me, it was there was something about um, it wasn't even always necessarily the music. I remember some people would object and say, oh, you know, that song kind of sucks. It's it's shitty. They're terrible musicians or, you know, it's not that good. And I said, yeah, but that's not the point. It's it is kind of sloppy. And it is kind of crappy, but it's the whole thing taken as a package. It's the experience. It's everything that went with it. I mean, if you just I know plenty of people who didn't want to listen to the music on a radio or you know, on, you know, back in those days, like on a on a you know a cassette or something like that, they didn't want to listen to it like that. But when you went to a show, it's a whole different story. I mean, a, a good example of that is Guar. <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget the first time I saw Guar, and I had no idea what I was in for. I had no prep. I had no you know, I I wasn't built up. I didn't have an idea. Not a not even a slight clue. I'd literally seen like a a typical like super shitty photocopied flyer to go see them. That's all I knew. I was like, oh, that looks insane. Let's go see these guys, right? Whatever. And they're a classic example of some of their music doesn't translate that well. When you listen to it, you're kind of like, oh, it's okay. It's not anything to get excited about, really. And some of it's not even that good. But when you're there experiencing the insane show that they put on and you're like covered in blood and fake brains and there's some guy with a catapult, like, you know, launching like, you know, human crap into the crowd. It's not, you know, obviously it's like some fake crap junk that they make, but this insane circus of madness and the visual, like, you know, these crazy costumes and all these, it's just insane. It was like this overwhelming experience. And I think that's, that gets to the heart of like what it was like to go to a hardcore show. You sort of looked at other people who you, I guess it did make you feel different because you were like, I've almost had this underground secret experience. Like you'd look at other people and it's like, you went to some relatively by comparison, this sedate show where you sat in a seat and you like, you know, held your hands up in the air and went, yay to your band and stuff. And I went to this like demented, insane, like intense nightmarish experience where I came home with like <laughs> my clothes. I'm soaked to the underwear with other people, strangers sweat. And I have somebody's boot print on my chest because they, you know, jumped on me in, in some, you know, it's just a completely different experience. It was this intense, you know, I, I'd hate to get, I, I don't want to wax, you know, all <laughs> almost like a rite of passage feeling to it because some of it was really crazy. And especially if you had never, if you're like this suburban kid who's never experienced anything like this before and you go to something like that, it's like you're plunged into this crazy world. It seems even more intense to you. Um, so but I think, would you say that your Jungian shadow is Sleazy P. Martini? No, absolutely. I mean, those guys were the masters. I mean, I don't want to dwell on Guar too much, but they were the masters of uh, you know whipping up a crowd. That whole dynamic that they had, for anyone who's listening, if you've never heard of Guar, you know, a quick internet search will show you what kind of warped sick bunch they are. And I'm talking about early Guar too. There's certainly something to be said that they've changed over time. And, you know, recent Guar would be a completely different animal from what you would have seen, you know, all those years ago. But, you know, these guys, what they what their shtick was back in the day, I don't even know if they still do this, but... Just they as was, an aside, Kevin, you know um, Otis Urungus died, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm fully aware. Okay. 
they used to put up like a wall, a fake wall. Sometimes it was just made out of like sheet paper with like, you know, fake, a fake stone wall drawn on it or something. It was, wasn't anything elaborate. Sometimes it was like cardboard, huge, you know, it, whatever it was, it was just a massive barrier from, from stage floor to, to up into this rafters where, so you couldn't see behind it. You couldn't tell what was going on. So it wasn't your typical, you know, you see the bands, you know, the, the drum kit and amps and stuff. You couldn't tell what was behind there. And then they would have like a pre-show thing where they were for a long time they made people wait and they built the tension and people were getting antsy and aggravated and the crowd was starting to get restless and then that's when and usually up to this point they were playing some really aggravating elevator music to jack people up even more get them more irritated so in this irritable state then they would send out like sleazy p martini or somebody else or some other ridiculous character that they had created to start haranguing make people even more angry and it would get to the point where they would razz the crowd to the stage where people were spitting on them, gobbing, as they used to call it, um, you know, spitting on them, swearing at them, screaming at them, flipping them off, like just completely worked up. And when this reached a crescendo, and, and incidentally, during this entire time, whatever irritating music was playing, it was masterful they were slowly increasing the volume over time. I'm not talking 10 minutes. I'm talking like 45 minutes an hour minimum of this going on. This wasn't like some brief like five-minute thing they did before the show started to give you an idea. This was a long buildup. The music was getting louder and louder. And by the time this was ending, it was so loud it almost hurt. It was in, it, it, this was like a planned psychological operation to drive people nuts. And then just when you thought the tension is at the moment of, you know, explosion here. <laughs> That's when the wall would come down. And, and there, it wasn't just, surprise, here we are. The wall came down and a song started right in your face and the place just snapped. Everybody went insane. The crowd instantly turned into one giant crazy blender pit of insanity. It was instant and it was nuts. But it was also like magical. It was just incredible to be there. Yeah, I, I've been to a few Guar shows my, myself, actually each and every time with you. So, again, flash forward 20 years, what happened? What has happened? Where did that idealism go? Where did that energy go? Where did the creativity and the not-give-a-shit attitude go? What, just what happened? Well, you know, here's a little song from a god to a slave. I never should have been let out the fucking microwave. I'm on this planet. I'm running amok. I should give a shit, but I don't give a fuck, no. Sorry, couldn't help no, it. Now I, know um, why, now I know why your rap career never took off. <laughs> yeah. yeah but seriously, show. though, so again, back to the point of today, music is, it's, it's appalling, actually. It's, it's show business. You know what? Well, people I think, typically it, think, I think, but people typically think of Hollywood. People now, I think, just view music as entertainment. You know, maybe someone like a cheesy ad I just saw on TV recently. You know, I'm one of the few dinosaurs who still actually watches TV. You know, I think it was for a music streaming service where people are listening to music on their headphones and really digging it. And one dude is crying. And, you know, <laughs> but to your point about going to shows, interacting with groups. I remember you and I saw Seven Seconds once. And... Kevin Seconds is just standing there and he's getting all upset because one punk just kicked another punk in the back. <laughs> he intervenes in the melee, right? So, like, just what happened to that energy and enthusiasm that guys like Kevin Seconds embodied? You've been in bands, I've been in bands. 
on the one hand, I think both you and I were inspired to do this stuff because of the DIY attitude of the whole punk rock and hardcore movements. But flash forward to today, where music is just, you know, a $1.29 commodity you can download or stream or whatever. And, you know, people play music to try and get famous on YouTube and the like. Bandcamp. What, what happened? And so much of it is so flat. Huh, you're telling me as a, <laughs> as a pancake. And you know what? There's no musical tension either. People are no, writing music no. without any sense of musical tension. Zero. It's soulless. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think to – well, here's what I think. I think that just because we're sort of unaware of it now – I mean I discovered that shit when I was a teenager and it was – it really did feel like you were in this underground secret thing – that no one kind of knew about. You knew that if you went into school on Monday after going to a hardcore show and you tried to explain to anyone what you had done or name any of the bands or who they were, no one had any idea who they were. They'd never heard it because they didn't get mainstream radio play at all. So no one knew who the hell they were. So you felt like you were in this sort of exclusive, weird underground culture. And you were, in essence. So flash forward to today, as you said, I kind of think there's probably still plenty of weird underground shit going on. We're just totally blissfully unaware of it. If I was like, you know, a 16-year-old kid looking for shows and, you know, going to Boston or Providence on the weekend and trying to go into these places and trying to find the shows and looking for flyers and seeing what was going on. You know, maybe we'd be discovering these things. Maybe they're still going on now, but it's like it was then in a sense. Now, I'm not saying that the scene is the same. I'm sure the scene has morphed and changed and it's become something else, but that it's still secret, that there's still weird shit going on that most people are completely unaware of. You know, I'm sure that's the case. I mean, well, I've seen look, things. I mean, we, we did a BuzzFeed post about, you know, some of the greatest bands folks may not have, indie bands and so forth, folks may not have even been aware of. And... You know, you can find them out on SoundCloud and Bandcamp and, and other places, Reverb Nation and so on. But there's not a ton of traction behind those those groups because there isn't really a movement. And that's not that's not anyone's fault. I mean, if someone is out there making great music independently, then, you know, more power to them, of course. Though, again, I think one of the afflictions of the modern day musician, songwriter, performer is that they want to get friggin' famous. You know, they want to get internet famous. And that, I think, is is kind of a, I don't know, for me anyway, it's a bit of an anathema for someone who came up in the, you know, the punk and hardcore scene where it didn't matter if you sold records or not. What mattered is if you were totally into it and were living by your ideals. And I realize people grow up and they realize, you know, you got to go out and do things like make a living and keep a roof over your head. And if you want to, you know actually share your life with somebody then you've got other responsibilities to worry about you can't just live yeah responsibilities like transforming yourself into a soulless husk (laughs) Uh, the android comment really really comes home right about now no but in all seriousness i mean do you think you have carried over was being serious yeah i know do you think you've carried over any of those ideals at all or do you think yeah. Or do you think you just you're just a sort of automaton? I sold out. No, I you know I I think to an extent yes, but I mean things change. I mean one of the things I was going to comment on from something you said earlier, I was thinking to myself how, um, you know I was really into this shit. I loved that scene when from the minute I discovered it. I think the very you know the very first thing that I ever heard was like um, a Meat Men song. And that was like my introduction into this like weird world. And I never looked back and I loved every second of it. 
but I look back on like some of that those years, like the eighties, the nineties uh, that followed, and there is there is music and bands and even like whole genres of music that I would have turned up my nose at and laughed at and made fun of and not listened to. But now at my age, I hear some of the songs that would have been like, you know, playing in the background constantly popular songs that you would have heard on a radio, just about anywhere in the car, flipping through stations. It just would have penetrated your brain. It was just like the backdrop would have been in movies. These, this, this 80s sound primarily, I mean, to a certain extent, the nineties too, but more so the eighties. And all of those songs that I would have laughed at, made fun of, rejected, avoided, now they have like this weird nostalgic pull and I'm, I like them. Now, not to the extent of like, you know, overboard. I'm not like, you know, going out and buying up 80 CDs or anything stupid like that. I'm not like, you know, oh, let me see if any of those old timers are still touring. I'll go see them. Not like, not to that extent, but just that if I hear some of it now, I might stop and listen to it or I might, you know, get that nostalgic twinge. Somehow it just, I, I realize now reflecting back that that stuff had gotten through somehow on some level it had like penetrated. Now it has a different meaning. Back then I would have rejected it and mocked it. Now it has this sort of just this pleasant, nostalgic, you know, memory associated with it. So it's kind of weird how that, you know, transition, how that journey has taken place. Yeah, that may be one of the reasons why I like that movie Gross Point Blank so much with John Cusack. Just It's just the soundtrack is all you know, punk new wave music um, from The Clash to The Pogues to The Specials, to you name it. Um, but the hallmarks of of those bands, those movements, as you pointed out earlier um, in our conversation, alternative music literally was alternative. Mainstream radio didn't play it because it was too weird, too dangerous, maybe they swore. So you had to listen to things like college radio or, to your point, through pass-alongs of cassettes or 45s or albums and so forth, where I remember one of our mutual friends brought him over to my house, and the Meat Men, their, their first album. And we listened to it, and it's like, what is this? It was hilarious. It was, it was, it was completely from left field. Um, it was about as unpolitically correct as you could possibly imagine. And... You know, and what's sad now that I realize that I've seen the Meat Men not once but twice, the 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 the, the whole thing was just foreign and really wonderful, right? I remember, I remember the first time I was in college, the first time I ever heard Stiff Little Fingers, and I was blown away. The song was Roots Radicals, Rockers, and Reggae, and I just thought to myself, this is some of the most amazing stuff I've literally ever heard. I don't really get that from modern music, and I don't I don't think it's a result of being older than I was when I first got into bands like The Jam. I think it's more a matter of music isn't being made with the same purpose. Meaning, I'm not really sure that people are making music just for the sheer joy of making music coupled with that furious idealism. Right? I've heard I've heard modern artists, you know, making music that I like and I download some of their songs and so forth. I enjoy it. And some of it is moving, but it's not that same passion. And I think is again part of the, the, the widespread problem um, with music and musicians everywhere now is that everyone's trying to get spotlight. And you know, it's like the Kardashian thing. It doesn't matter 
what you do, what matters is this, was really how famous you are. <laughs> and that, I, think, I think that really does have an impact on creative output. Would you agree with that? Or do you think I'm just, you know, yelling at people to get off my lawn? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Oh, no, to my ears. <laughs> no, I think um, I think uh, I really wasn't listening. No, seriously, you remember McRad, right? I mean, you think <laughs> about I, Guar. Does did Guar have any any freaking hope of getting airplay? Guar, right? Well, of course not. It's that a, didn't like, matter. Pretty, it no, did not matter. no, of course not. Of course not. No, it wasn't the point at all. Well, I, I you know, it, there has to be. I mean, look, the, the people in those bands at that level. There's kind of different levels, just like with anything else. I mean, there were some people who were so close to the bottom and making little to zero money. It's easy for them to say, well, I'm idealistic. I'm doing this because I love it. Yeah. But, but then you have bands like Guar. I mean, they toured, they sold albums, and those albums were sold in record stores. I mean, they made money. They made money on tour. They sold merchandise. So they got to a level where, you know, they are making a living. They're making money at it. But I'm sure, on, on you know, Obviously, that didn't drive them to change what they were doing to make even more money. You know what I'm saying? In other words, they were only making as much money as you can make, you know, in a band where you have a giant, you know, fake dong with a with testicles that are three giant tennis ball sized balls in a sack. I mean, well, come on, the the song "Sick of You" really was kind of an MTV pop hit, don't you think? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's just impossible to imagine something like that making it in any form that resembles, you know, the original ever. It's just impossible. They would have to morph into some like sanitized even now, even today where things have really slipped and it's like far worse than even when we were kids. I mean, and, and let's let's just stop right there for a second. Just think of how different media and the world is just for, in our short little lifetime here. When we were kids, it was a whole different game in, on a lot of levels. They'd get away with shit now that would have been like unheard of back then. But even with that being said, a band like Guar, they'd still have to totally sanitize their whole shtick. There's no way they could do that. There's just no way. Oh, come on. You don't think they sold out with these lyrics? Your face is gross. You eat white toast. You don't know what to do. That's right. Actually, as you were talking, um, and just to add to what I said a little bit earlier, one group I think really did stand out and really did have that, you know, not give a shit energy and were wonderful were the darkness. Remember? <laughs> they were, I think, absolutely amazing. And yeah, I had a great time at, uh, I mean, they, they put on a, I, well, go ahead, finish your well, thought. But, but the point is, is that Justin, I forget his last name, um, Timberland? They, I mean, yeah, no. They, uh, I think their second and maybe even third records didn't really go anywhere. I think they kind of imploded, but, you know, they, they came at it from a, you know, they had a, the, the retro thing going, but they were really doing something passionate and they were into it. I think they would play the same way whether they were in a VFW or whether they were playing in a 14,000-seat stadium. You know, whether three people were in the audience or 30,000, they would play exactly well, the same wonderful histrionic thing, performance. Though, right? But that, that's what I mean. Like, they, whether or not they wanted to be famous was irrelevant. They were doing their thing. It was an expression of who they are and what, what they wanted to do. And it was fantastic. And even now I realize, what, that was probably 10 years ago? They're not even current. But there's really – there's not even been another darkness recently. 
And well, I don't even want to hear, oh, Radiohead, because I don't really think no. that's spectacular. Well, I, Darkness, I mean, is a good example, because to me, yeah, they had their shtick. They were obviously going for that sort of that, uh, you know, they were, they were straight out of, they were obviously inspired by bands like Queen, and, you know, they, they had that vibe, that whole stadium rock, you know, feeling, the, the over over the top showmanship and the, you know, the, the crazy jump shoot jumpsuits, you know, that was basically the chest was like, you know, cut down to the belly button and the, the whole thing. Right. But they had the passion and the energy. They were into it. It wasn't like a, a hollow mask. It wasn't like a fake, like, a, you know, this flimsy facade and behind it, there was no real passion or energy. They were like, so they put on such a great show. These guys were awesome. They sounded great. And you, that's the point. It's the same. It's, it's very similar to like, you know, what I was describing earlier with hardcore, or with Guar Show or so. That, that energy came through. It was a completely different type of music. One, absolutely not similar. But, the vibe, the energy came through from these guys. So you were caught up in it. You felt that you were moved. And I guess, I mean, arguably, I guess that could happen with, you know, almost anything. I mean, unless something was really flat or had no musical tension, then that's just... (laughs) Well, to your point, though, right? I remember seeing, uh, not only did I see The Clash, I saw The New Clash. And in the latter um, show that I went to, uh, the last song, I think, was Garage Band. And hundreds of kids rushed the stage and Joe Strummer and Paul Simonon and company let them, you know, and a whole bunch of people, you know, ringed around the mics and screamed into the mics and sung along with them until the end. And, you know, there are a lot of tales about Joe Strummer letting people backstage um, and, and, the, and the other guys as well, Mick Jones and so forth, because it was all part of that DIY we're not superstars mentality that they had, right? Well, yeah. But 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 now, I think what's worse than music just becoming show business now is that I don't think a lot of people particularly care. Like if you, if you were you know told, oh, you can go meet such and such musical artist backstage, you might be like, why? Why would I want to do that? I like well, listening to their tunes, but I really feel no interest in meeting singer X or songwriter Y because no one really gives a shit anymore. Well, I mean, you, it's a good example. It's, it's kind of harping back on that point from earlier about the difference between, you know, like mainstream music fans and like what it was like in that world. I mean, if you go to, you know, you name the big artist from that era, uh, you know, playing a, a stadium show and you weren't getting anywhere near them, you were going to be stopped. You weren't getting backstage. Basically, you weren't getting you weren't going to meet these guys. They weren't going to let you contact them. And, and chances are they probably didn't want to. There wasn't like a, they didn't want to interact in that, on that, necessarily on that level. And, and look, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe some of them did. But for the most part, I don't think that was like the vibe going on. But I, I mean, I was really into the Misfits. If they were playing two shows in Boston and one in Providence, I went to all three shows. And I went to one show and I wore like this skull mask with a, with a devil lock. And I had, you know, all the black shit around my eyes and all that stuff. And you know, skeleton gloves, the whole, I, the whole thing. I mean, I was down, I had a, you know, freaking misfits bum flap for Christ's sake, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners won't even know what a bum flap is. But, and I remember them seeing me and they actually took me up on stage after the show and took me in the back and I met everybody in the band and they, they signed my head. They signed my skull mask. They all signed it. 
And I remember another time, Jerry Only, uh, the bass player, coming outside, and he was just like hanging out with people. And like I had him, like uh, I said, "Hey, Jerry, we defaced a dollar bill for me." And he's like, "Yeah." And he drew like the misfits devil lock and the black circles under the eyes of George Washington on a dollar bill, and signed it, Jerry Only. So, I mean, but these guys were more. You could, they were real. They were real. They weren't this remote, you know, on the other side of the looking glass kind of shit. That, that, you know, like you pointed out, like they're not stars. They weren't like these, these celebrities, these remote figures, they, they're almost like the gods on Mount Olympus that you can imagine and tell stories about, but you can't touch. These guys were, you know, they met you, they shook your hands, they stood right there, they had bad breath, they like farted, they drank beer, they, they, were, they were real tangible human beings and you could interact with them. And you could see them. You could see them up close. It wasn't like this weird remote separation. It was like they were there with you. You felt like you were part of something with them genuinely, not like, you know, some band saying, yeah, we're with you, man. And But they're, you know, they're 100 miles away on the other side of a barbed wire fence playing the show for you. So, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe that's missing from a lot of things. And I think also some people would probably argue and say, oh, no, you're wrong, man. There's this band and that band. I, I think, you know, there's probably some genuine examples of it out there, but I would also argue that I think a lot of bands sort of play that card. They sort of, it's almost like a false, like, you know, yeah, well, we, but it's not real. It's not like it was. So fuck off. I'm bitter. <laughs> You're hiding it really well. So if anyone wants to uh, weigh in with their thoughts, feel free to visit our blog, thedeeplyconflicted.tumblr.com, and we'll just be crying silently offline while you do that. And of course, we hope you join us for our next episode of The Deeply Conflicted podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, friends. 